BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown, and I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, California's home insurance crisis. We'll examine a plan from Governor Newsom and Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara to stop the exodus of major insurers from California and hopefully help stabilize the market for homeowners insurance. And then we're going to examine the big legislative wins for organized labor at the state capitol this year uh, that are now leaving Newsom with some tough decisions over the next few weeks. But first, Scott, as you mentioned, the governor did issue this executive order Thursday directing the insurance commissioner to take regulatory action and address this issue. Joining us to talk talk about it, hopefully explain it to all of us, is Michael Wara. He's director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford University's Woods Institute for the Environment. Michael Wara, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, you are often called upon by folks in our role to explain a lot of this stuff, honestly. <laughs> um, and so, like, let's start at the top. What did the governor do when he stepped into the crisis with this executive order? What does it say? Why is he doing this? Well, many of your listeners may have heard that there was an attempt to pass legislation this session to address what folks that live in higher fire risk areas of the state are experiencing, that it's getting harder and harder to find insurance. And there's a complicated set of reasons that boil down to the fact that the risk is increasing and the prices of insurance have not increased enough to match that increased risk. And so the and, you know, we could get into like reinsurance and all these. other. We probably will. But yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's the bottom line. Right. The price doesn't match the risk. And so the insurers, these people who constantly advertise at you on the radio and on TV trying to get new customers are all of a sudden saying, "Nah, we don't want new customers anymore because we can't make a profit in California. So, So go ahead. Finish. So that's a that's a that's a huge problem for homeowners. And. The legislature tried to get a fix done, didn't work out at the last minute. And now the governor has stepped in to ask Commissioner Lara, the commissioner of insurance, to take kind of emergency regulatory action to do a lot of the things that were apparently, I mean, I haven't seen the language, but were apparently a part of the legislative conversation. So to to reinterpret the law, which isn't going to change from this action, but to reinterpret it to allow a lot a, a set of a set of steps that will hopefully stabilize the insurance situation in California. And so, why was an executive order necessary? I mean, is this going to do what the legislation might have done if it had passed, or is this sort of a temporary measure? Well, I think this could be a, a permanent measure. You know, if if the, the executive order directs the insurance commissioner to 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 write regulations, right? So it's not it doesn't actually change things yet. 
but it does give the commissioner, you know, kind of air cover to to take steps that are going to be that are politically controversial. These, the, you know, I, I, there's no reason to hide the ball about this. Insurance, home insurance costs in California will go up modestly if these steps are taken. What will also occur is that insurance will be available right. to people in a way that it is currently not. And so it's it's not, you know, it's not a question of sort of, it, you know, is it the price higher or lower? It's can you even get insurance? And and there's a there's another issue that relates to there's there's kind of an insurance of last resort called the fair plan. And the fair plan has gotten itself into real trouble because as people have been kind of ditched by their normal private insurers, like State Farm, for example, um, they have to go to this other plan, which is much more expensive, covers the coverage is not as good. And that plan is actually undercapitalized. Mm. And so if there were to be a big fire in California, which hopefully there will not be, and we've had really good luck this year, and let's hope that luck sticks through October, November, December. But if there were to be a big fire, that plan could essentially go belly up. Like solvent, unsolvent. Okay, but yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that this was maybe not as legally necessary for the governor to direct this as it was politically expedient for for him to sort of direct. So I don't know if it, it feels like what the insurance commissioner is being asked to do. He maybe had the power to do already. Um, but as you said, a lot of this stuff is not very popular and and it. I, my understanding of it is it, it might kind of supersede some of the proposition that has, you know, dictated how we do this. So in the past, so you mentioned reinsurance. This is essentially insurance companies. They go and get their coverage covered by bigger companies, bigger surety companies. There's also the question of like, how do they model this stuff, right? So are we looking back in time at what has already happened or are we predicting into the future? Currently, they can't predict into the future with these algorithms and models, right? Are they going to be able to do that now? Like, does this just say, hey, go ahead, do these things that before you couldn't do? So let me answer your first question first, Marissa, which is, does this change Prop 103? Arguably, it does not. Okay. And the commissioner is not allowed to do that. The, prop, the provisions of Prop 103 are part of the Constitution. He can't just decide right. by a regulation to modify that. What this does, it's change how the words in Prop 103 are interpreted. So Prop 103 says, set a rate, a cost of insurance for, for premiums that reflects the risk in, in plain language. That's what it says. So what does that mean? Well, the way it's been interpreted over the years in the homeowner's context is look backward and take the average of the losses over the last 20 years. And that worked fine when losses weren't increasing rapidly because of climate change. Of course, the governor, and I don't know if the insurance commissioner is in New York right now for climate week, but the governor's in climate week making all kinds of announcements about climate change and how California's leading. The funny thing is that our insurance system kind of pretends that climate change doesn't exist. And that's not workable anymore. Hmm. And the solution, it's not so much forward-looking climate models as climate models that estimate the risk today, hmm. supposed to the average of the risk over the last two decades. And if you think about it, like fire risk in 2003, is that the same? Did you feel in Or even 10 years ago, yeah, I mean. Or even 10 years ago. So we live in a different world, and unfortunately, and climate change is a big part of it. There are other causes, this complicated problem, but but allowing the insurers to use a model is also something that happens in other kinds of insurance. So for example, earthquake insurance uses cap models and that's been okay for a long time. 
even after Prop 103. So this is not unprecedented in California, but it's not traditionally the approach that's been taken. And you mentioned that, you know, rates are going to go up, but it will be available to everybody. Is are rates going to go up equally across the board or will people in high risk areas be paying, you know, the bulk of the increase? That's a great question, Scott, and I think the answer is this is more the second than the first. It's likely that this might California has rates, insurance rates that are among the lowest in the country. And a lot of that the credit for that is due to Prop 103, but um, you know, and 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 pro- it's probably the case that these changes will cause rates to go up modestly in low risk areas and more in high risk areas. But what it'll mean is you can actually buy insurance in the high risk areas, which is something that is going away yeah. uh, very. Well, which is different than earthquake insurance, because people, if they have loans, are required to have basic homeowners. They're not required to have earthquake. And a lot of people opt out because it's really expensive. Um, Before we get into that, I mean, you mentioned at the top that there was this attempt at a legislative deal. It did fall apart. There was uh, a conversation taped on a plane that leaked with lobbyists. I mean, there's a lot of drama around it. But the bottom line is consumer advocates have really been feeling like they've been shut out of these conversations. And it feels like if if they're taking this action at the insurance commissioner level to kind of go around or change the way Proposition 103 is interpreted, that feels like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Like, is this is this about to be a big legal battle? Well, I think it's going to depend on how the, the skill with which. Commissioner Lara and the Department of Insurance can navigate a new regulatory process. Yeah. And so the proof will be in the pudding. I think the the insurers, they're happy, I imagine, with this announcement. But what they really care about is a regulation that is finalized and survives court challenge, because that's what's going to affect their business environment, not, you know, a press conference. And so um, we really have to see, you know, how fast can this get done? Time also matters. The situation is deteriorating rapidly in California. And so if this takes a year or 18 months, that's too long. Um, So we'll have to see how fast they can move. And then also what the response of Consumer Watchdog in particular, which is the main consumer advocate in the insurance space in California, what their response is. You were advising Senator Dodd uh, as he tried to pull together a compromise on this in the legislature. Time ran out. Um, was it because this was a difficult vote politically or could the various sides not come together on an agreement uh, that they could vote on? Well, I'm not privy to like the exact internal dynamics of the negotiation that occurred. But what I would say is that this is a super complicated issue and it requires elected officials to take a hard vote. And I think we just ran out of time. You know, the, 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 it requires a lot of education and, you know, just like for regular folks, like mm-hmm. what is going on and all like, you don't need to know about reinsurance. You just want your home insurance policy so you can have your mortgage. And the, there's a lot of complication and, and, the, and the consumer advocates were able to really effectively say, look, this is going to raise insurance costs. So, and, and it, maybe it's going to raise insurance costs for people in urban areas to benefit people in rural areas, kind of a to California sort of vibe. And um, that was effective yeah. in pulling apart, you know, what would have had to be in the legislature a two-thirds vote. And so I think the decision was taken not to bring this before, you know, tr- not to try to get a two-thirds coalition in the three days that were available 
at the end of the session. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Consumer Watchdog. They've been very critical of Insurance Commissioner Lara. Um, and I know that the insurance companies have also complained about the the speed or lack thereof that the commissioner's office takes in reviewing rates and approving hikes. Do you have confidence that this office is up to the pretty steep task that you've laid out of creating these regulations um, and kind of doing so in a in a urgent manner? I think it's a tall order. And the challenge is going to be that there are relatively straightforward ways to issue an emergency regulation that makes these changes. And of course, emergency regulations only last for six months. So at the, as soon as you issue the emergency reg, you then start a process to do the, the, the normal regulatory process. I don't know if Commissioner Lara intends to take that path. Certainly on, on some of these things, like the inclusion of these catastrophe models in, in insurance premium rate setting. Um, he's wanted to have a much more kind of transparent, sort of a ela- more elaborate process. And that will slow down what happens. And I think also potentially increase its risk. Yeah. Uh, we just, I, I don't know, but you know, it's, it's a, there are real trade-offs here between speed and, and um, kind of, allowing everyone to comment on every issue that they think is important. Well, to what extent do you see this as a placeholder, you know, something to kind of stabilize the market while the legislature can reconvene next year and pick this back up? I think this is more than a placeholder if CDI is successful. But what I would emphasize is that this whole situation is fundamentally unstable because of climate change and the growing risk of wildfire. And the step that we really need to take and that we have not done as effectively as we need to is to really dramatically reduce the risk that homes burn down in wildfires. And there is no, there are known ways to do that. And we've done some of them. And you know, the governor's team has made a lot of efforts in that space over the last five years, six years, I guess. Um, but there's a lot more we need to do, especially when it comes to structures and not losing, like not having what happened in Santa Rosa occur or Paradise or Lahaina more recently. And and so the the real way out of this is a combination of financial engineering, which is what a lot of this is about, and real physical engineering in the world. And we have to do both or there's no there's not a long term fix. Right. And Newsom and Lara can't do all of that by themselves. A lot of that's up to the rest of us. That's Michael Wara. He's director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford University's Woods Institute for the Environment. Thank you for unpacking this for us. We really appreciate you. It's great to talk to both of you. Thanks, Michael. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about hot labor summer at the state capitol. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. Here with Scott Schaefer. Well, the legislature wrapped up its work in Sacramento about a week ago, but not before passing some landmark bills for labor in California. They included higher minimum wages for fast food and healthcare workers, more paid sick leave for California employees, unemployment for workers on strike, and more. It's all on Governor Newsom's desk now. And here to unpack it with us is KQED labor correspondent Farida Jabala Romero. Farida, thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. So, um... We said, you know, the, the line, hot labor summer. This is not just yes. happening in Sacramento. There's been labor actions nationally, UAW strike, you know, ongoing Hollywood uh, strikes. Is that what accounts, you think, for this action, this the success in Sacramento? Is it this bigger kind of political culture right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely has played a big role, just this awareness about the struggles of working people in our state, certainly, and then more pressure, you know, uh, just in in the the form of strikes or people threatening to strike. Um, And, you know, all of that goes to the um, high cost of living in the state, but also like bigger trends, like surging inflation, you know, like with the price of groceries going up. And then like, we had like the almost record, pretty much record gas prices not too long ago. And then, you know, coming out of the pandemic, a lot of discontent and, you know, workers feeling really disgruntled and underappreciated, especially in sectors like healthcare, you know, and other essential right. uh, jobs where people felt like they really suffered and they're not seeing their employers, you know, increase their wages the way they would or improve working conditions. And then there's just like income inequality. I think a lot of people are just thinking more about that. And, uh, you know, like today, there was a new report by the Economic Policy Institute. And they say that CEO compensation has really skyrocketed Mm -hmm. from the 1970s and that now CEOs on average make about 344 times more than what a typical worker makes. And so, you know, those are some big issues that I think legislators are, you know, trying to intervene and take steps on. Well, and among the big winners in the session, uh, fast food workers, a deal was struck uh, between the legislature and the restaurant industry that's going to guarantee them a raise of $20, up to $20 an hour from the current fifteen fifty, dollars um, And as part of that deal, a referendum on a new law with even higher higher hourly wage is going to get pulled. But I'm wondering, you know, from your reporting, who who makes up that population of fast food workers and how big a deal is this for them? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a huge deal. And I think it's something where we saw the industry really, you know, come out and say, um, 
it was going to cost, you know, they thought it was going to cost them this uh, referendum fight was going to cost them more like a hundred, more than a hundred million dollars, you know, and that wasn't it. There was another bill in the, you know, uh, about to be uh, or moving through the legislature that would have made corporations, fast food corporations liable for violations at their uh, franchisees, you know, by their franchisees. And they said that was going to really, you know, change the franchise model. So it was becoming uh, like a tit for tad is the way, you know, some people. So they um, had some you know, incentive to come. Yeah, yeah they really did, you know. And so they came out with this deal, which, you know, it, like your original question, it's more than 500,000, half a million workers in the state, in the industry. A lot of them, you know, we, we think of them before, you know, it was like teenagers, you know, but now it's a lot of adult immigrant, you know, people with families and a lot of them women, people of color. Retirees even sometimes. Yeah. And many of them, uh, you know, making pretty close to minimum wage. Um, I think a, a union representative was telling me it's the average is around $16 an hour. So this jump to $20 an hour is going to be a big, a big significant change. Yeah. I mean, that one is so interesting because it does pull in so many other kind of factors when you think about the referendum process and the leverage that they had there. There was another bill passed that actually allowed it to be pulled off. I think there was threats that they could kind of do some of what they wanted to do with the Fast Food Council through the administration, the exactly. governor's administration. Yeah. So there was a lot of things happening there. I am curious, though. I feel like some of the other bills are a little more straightforward, right? So like, let's talk about unemployment insurance for striking workers. Yeah. That seems like that's a big hot potato for the governor. A lot of pushback. I mean, what did you hear in terms of the arguments for it? And how realistic do you think it is that we actually see it signed? I mean, that's super controversial. <clears throat> I can, I'll definitely answer your question. But I'll say, you know, it's very unclear how many striking workers could actually get unemployment mm. benefits because the bill uh, basically just expands eligibility to who can apply for unemployment to people who are on strike for more than two weeks. But you still have to meet all of the other requirements, like proving that you're looking for work. So um, so it's unclear <laughs> to me, at least at yeah. this point, you know, how many people will you know be able and to I get And I know these, EDD has really cracked funds. down on that. They're like doing interviews now with people because of all the fraud right, we've seen. Exactly. Yeah. So there's high you know, vigilance on that. Um, but I mean, the the pro- pro- proponents for the bill, what they were saying is that this would send a really clear message, you know, to especially wealthier, bigger companies that they, you know, should come to the table to negotiate in good faith. Because what we saw, especially with the Writers Guild, there were stories about, um, you know, executives at the studio saying that they were just going to wait out, uh, you know, people until they started losing their homes or couldn't pay rent. And then they have to come and, you know, bargain. You know, and what they what they what they want. So I think it was this concerted effort from the legislature, or at least this wish and this concern that negotiations are not super, you know, protracted and last forever, and that both parties come and negotiate in good it, faith. It does seem like the governor is maybe laying the groundwork for a veto of that legislation. He was saying uh, in an interview with Politico a couple weeks ago that the unemployment insurance fund is running kind of low. Yeah, and- yeah. And that was one of the main arguments against it, that, um, you know, California already borrowed 
billions of dollars from the federal government to keep the unemployment insurance fund uh, solvent. And that, you know, employers are paying that because the unemployment insurance fund is funded, is financed with the taxes on employers per employee. And so it just, you know, that's another concern with this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are talking about Labor's big wins in Sacramento this year. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. So for more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. Frida, you've done a lot of great reporting on wage theft and how well the state uh, labor commission deals with that. There's a huge, been huge backlogs. Yes. It seems like, you know, based on what you've learned and reported, it seems like that would be a really important thing to be pressing on if you're the legislature. Make sure that that agency is functioning properly and that mm-hmm. there isn't such a long wait time. Have you seen any movement along those lines that workers who are waiting for some kind of you know, judgment or answer. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a really interesting question. I think there's just more awareness that, like you said, I mean, there's this agency, the Labor Commissioner's Office and, you know, charged with investigating wage theft and other labor violations. But there's also Kalosha, you know, like the state regulators on occupational um, health and safety, which is having the same problems. They're understaffed. And it seems like a lot of the problem is sort of this like bureaucratic internal situation, you know, where um, the state is, you know, having similar issues to other employers where there's uh, a labor shortage, you know, their wages may not be as competitive. There's a a big problem, at least from people inside of these agencies, you know, what they're saying with uh, just like the length of time it takes to get uh, you know, candidates vetted and and hired. So there seems to be a lot of bureaucratic stuff inside the agency that I'm not sure if like a a legislation is the way to do it. And it seems like that's um, maybe lawmakers agree because we haven't seen any bills on that. But I do have to say there is an audit. The state auditor is looking at the labor commissioner's office and a big emphasis of the of the audit is looking at these processes for why the agency is so understaffed because they have the money. The governor has been giving them more money to Mm. hire more people. And then it what just happens is like the vacancy rate increases or the you know, the the proportion of how many uh, positions are filled because they actually have more positions available and they're not able to to get mm. people in there. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, I want to hit a couple other bills. Um, I know that you've been following. One is uh, one by Senator Maria Elena Durazo, who was a big labor leader, which would in, which in, if if it's signed would include about three hundred thousand domestic workers yes. in workplace health and safety laws. And we're talking people who generally tend to work for individuals, right? Mm-hmm. At uh, homes. house cleaners, yeah. nannies, um, other you know care providers. Yeah. So how would that work? <laughs> like, what does the bill do, and how and and would it actually help those domestic workers? Yeah. So that's a really interesting one because. Um, domestic workers are uh, completely excluded from uh, California uh, workplace safety and health protections that other workers enjoy. And if you go look at the California labor law, they don't consider domestic work employment. It's like Mm -hmm. in the law. (laughs) And that's why Kalosha has no jurisdiction over these types of uh, complaints by these workers. Um, And so what the bill would do is sort of like include them, you know, like just with everybody else. 
But there, Governor Newsom vetoed a similar bill a couple of years ago because he was concerned about what, you know, the requirements are for employers to keep workers safe. You know, they have to have like this injury illness prevention plan. Right. And like workers comp and other right. insurance, right? Like- yeah. And that it was going to be just too, you know, uh, too difficult, you know, for people who own homes and are employers because they have a nanny, for example. So that's 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 a balance that we're going to see, you know, what's going to happen this year. Since then, um, the governor did approve a bill that set up this advisory committee to study the issue and see if it was going to be like delay a little bit. But now they have, you know, more ammunition in a sense, like the people that support this uh, proposal, because the advisory committee, which included employers, uh, you know, also can up saying that California should get rid of this exclusion of domestic workers. One of the other bills that the governor is going to have to decide on is allowing the legislative staff to uh, unionize. Um, I would imagine he'll defer to the legislature on that and probably uh, sign it. (laughs) (laughs) And another one uh, that would require a human to be in a truck that is a quote unquote driverless truck. Uh, we'll have to see what the governor does on that. He's, you know, he's often been, uh, you know, very sympathetic, I think, to the tech industry. Yeah. And, 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 think- and it does kind of like, yes, it would save a job, but it would also kind of stunt that uh, that technology. In a way. Yeah. I think these are a lot of a lot of hot potatoes for the governor. I'm curious. We only have like a minute and a half left. Do you think that this bill to expand the number of paid sick days from three Ooh, to yeah. five, is mm-hmm. that a hot potato or is that kind of pre post COVID? It feels like. Like Post-COVID, not yeah, as not as big, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of states that have more minimum paid sick days than California, a lot more, actually. And so California has sort of fallen behind, you know, in that in that sense, you know, compared to other states. Um they, that bill was originally proposing seven days of paid sick leave, so and they went down to five, you know, in negotiations. It is, you know, uh, it would be difficult for a lot of small businesses, especially is what I've heard, you know, because they do have to front those costs. And there was a really interesting survey of hundreds of small business owners in California where, where the business owners said, hey, we agree, you know, with having more paid sick days off because we don't want people to come in the, uh, you know, in and like make us sick or, you know, we want them to recover, but we do need help from the state to pay for it. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Very short time left, but uh, lots got through the legislature. What would you say one or two things that you think they may come back with uh, in the the session? What was left undone? Real quick, if you could. Um... I don't know. I can't think of it at this point. I think but it just there were a bunch on of what the governor does or doesn't yeah. sign. Well, too, right? yeah, he can yeah. certainly say, "Look, we did a whole lot this year, and don't send me anything." I don't for think a they're going to stop. No, yeah. no, no. These bills are coming on Very labor. Very pro labor yeah. uh, speaker as well, Robert Rebus. And a lot of polling show that the public supports labor. So we'll see. That was KQD labor correspondent Farida Jabalo Romero. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today the one and only Christopher Beal. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We'll see you next time.
love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.